I'm turning this evening to 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 2. Then the Lord, on whose hand uh, the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he, Elisha, said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. My friends, we're looking at this uh, interesting account in the Old Testament, an account, an event that happened around 850 years before Christ. And uh, my subject is spiritual rationalism, spiritual rationalism. And uh, hopefully you'll see uh, what I mean as we go along. So we're going back, honing in uh, to the city of Samaria in Israel. It's surrounded at this particular time by the Syrian army, besieged, it's under siege, it's surrounded by a vast uh, army. No one can get into the city, no one can get out of it. Supplies of wheat and barley, well, nothing can be brought in to the, uh, from the fields into the city. The king of Syria sits triumphantly on the outside. He knows it's only a matter of time before uh, Samaria caves in. He knows that in just a short time, well, the people will have enough. They'll be starved uh, to death. They will have to throw in the towel. He knows he's on the verge of victory, and he's prepared uh, to wait uh, for that time. Within Samaria, things are a lot different. Things are, are very desperate and getting more and more desperate by the day. A famine is taking place. A great and sore and felt famine is felt within the city. It's ravaging the city. The people are starving. As we, re we read, an ass's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver and a quarter of a dove's dung, perhaps it's a seed or a plant, or it may even have been dung itself, was sold for five pieces of silver. Desperate for food, while well, some turn uh, to cannibalism. And we read that horrendous account even of a mother having to boil and eat her own child. People tend to do these things, isn't it? When things get really, really, really desperate. Well, the king of Israel, Jehoram, he's in Samaria. He's the king, but he's helpless. Where is his power now? He's got no power. He cannot overcome the might of the Syrian army, and he's helpless and powerless to provide for his own people. There's another man in Samaria, and this other man, he can help. He's in contact with the living God. He is, of course, the prophet Elisha. He knows God can do anything. He knows God's power. He's experienced miraculous power already uh, in his life. He's been instrumental in bringing about uh, God's purposes and plans. He knows that God can do anything, the impossible even. He's a man of faith, and he knows that God can turn around the situation in the city of Samaria in just a moment of time, in just a second, or in just a, uh, as he goes on to say, in just a day, he'll be able to turn things around. He knows God can bring it 
uh, to an end. He knows God is in control of all things and in this situation. The king, the king of Israel, well, he's agitated. He's perturbed by all that's happening. He cannot manage it. He's impatient. He's fretting. He, he just can't wait for the end to come. And he's angry. His anger turns to the prophet Elisha. His anger turns against the Lord Himself. He's angry with the prophet. He's angry with God. Elisha, he's calm. Elisha is in control. He's not perturbed. Uh, he knows that God is working out his, his purposes. He knows that God is sovereign over all things. Even this most terrible of situations, even though the whole city is in panicking, Elisha is calm and he is waiting patiently for the Lord to do something about the situation. Friends, he has a hold on God. And that's why uh, he is calm. That's why he is like this. And I have to ask us, uh, how are you, friends, in difficult circumstances? How are you when things are going badly in your life? How, how are you uh, able to manage when things seem to be going, and nothing seems to be going for you? Everything seems to be going in the opposite direction. Nothing seems to be working out uh, for you. When life in this world, as we know, well, it's bitter, isn't it? It's miserable. This is not the best place to be, uh, to be in the world. No matter where you go in the world, there is always trouble. No matter even if you go to the nicest place uh, uh, where there's a sun and, and uh, uh, lovely weather and uh, e the economy is doing well, even there there is trouble wherever you go in the world. The trouble is, the, the, pro the question really to ask ourselves is not, is there a better place in the world for me to live? Is there a more comfortable place in the world for me to, to be in? But do you have a hold on God? Do you have a hold on Christ? Do you have faith like the prophet Elisha? Because if you have that, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what problems come your way, the Lord will help you. The Lord will be your strength. The Lord will give you a calmness and a peace that you cannot find in this world. You will it's a, a, a calm, a faith that will keep you trusting in Him. And even when things are going against you, even then you'll say, well, I'm prepared to wait for Him and to wait for Him to bring me out of my troubles. Do you have that hold on God? Or are you a person who is easily vexed and troubled and loses control and panics and, oh, no, I'm at my wit's end now. I don't know how to... Handle these things. Friends, it's because you have no God to turn to. You have no resources apart from your own. Elisha had his resources in God. He could pray. He could call upon the Lord for help. He could trust the Lord. He could bring God into his situation. And that's what we have when we have faith in Christ. Oh, look at the king in a moment of madness. We can't go through all the details of that narrative, but in a moment of madness, we see how he's intent on uh, killing uh, Elisha. He blames Elisha for the troubles, and he wants to, uh, he sends out his messenger to, to kill him, 
But as soon as that messenger has gone out, well, he realizes, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I need Elisha. I need him. If I kill him, he's the only one who has contact with God. I need him around. And so very quickly, he changes uh, his mind. And in verse 33, we find him in the house of the, the prophet Elisha and uh, talking to him in, in verse, the end of verse 33. It's the king's words. He says, Behold, uh, this evil is of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 33. Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? This calamity, he says, is from the Lord. Why should I wait for him to, to work any longer? I'm weary of waiting. I cannot wait for him anymore. And look at Elisha's response in the next verse, chapter 7 and verse 1. Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Tomorrow, in just 24 hours, uh, there'll be a complete turnaround in this city. Life is going to return to normal tomorrow. Tomorrow there will be an abundance of food again. Food for everyone in the city. Prices will come tumbling down uh, tomorrow. The flour and the wheat, which uh, is unavailable today, well, there'll be such an abundance of it tomorrow. It'll be affordable for everyone. Tomorrow, the siege will come to an end. and The Syrian army will no more be sitting outside the city gates. They'll be no more looking at us menacingly and threatening us and teasing us and laughing at us from the outside. They'll be gone. Tomorrow, they'll be gone. Tomorrow, instead of the sadness uh, that there is in the city now, they'll joy and rejoicing and laughter and singing and dancing will return uh, to this city. That's, that was the word of the Lord uh, to, uh, at this time. That's all included uh, in these words and prophecy of uh, Elisha. But look at verse 2. There was a, a Lord on whose hand the king leaned, answered, uh, the, the Lord on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? This Lord is more, uh, probably uh, somebody very high up, somebody very close uh, to the king, not a servant, more likely a, a high-flying soldier, a high-flying officer in the army, a cap one of his uh, captains. And he laughs, basically, at this prophecy. He laughs at the word that comes from the Lord. He didn't believe a word of it. A complete turnaround, a complete change by tomorrow. Are you serious? You're having us on. You're joking, Elisha. Look at the situation. Can't you see the situation and the circumstances around us? Can't you see people are desperate? Can't you see the Syrian army just waiting for us to fall? And you say, by tomorrow, everything is going to change? Look around you. Open your eyes. What can you see, man? We're in a desperate position, a desperate situation. And you say, all will be well by tomorrow? It was unbelief, isn't it? He didn't believe it at all. And he, he says, even if the Lord uh, would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? Or to put it another way, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven and poured out 
wheat and barley and flour from heaven, there still wouldn't be sufficient to feed all the people. He doesn't believe the word of God. He doesn't believe, thus saith the Lord. He is doubting it. He is contradicting it. Well, Elisha's reply is telling, and we'll look at that in a minute, but he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. Well, friends, what does this mean for us? The word of the Lord comes to us. It comes to us all. Come to him. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from this world. Why do you want to carry on living for this world? There's a better life available to you. Why do you want to carry on living in this wretched world where things are so miserable and there is so much grief and pain and backstabbing and so many horrible things which are happening? Why do you still put your hopes and your trust and all your eggs in this one basket of the world? Turn from these things. Come, uh, turn from the, them. Turn from your sins. Turn from those selfish ways that you are going on in. That, that way that you've chosen for yourself. That way that only leads to death and has brought no joy and contentment and happiness in your life. Turn from these things, the word of the Lord says, and trust in Christ. And I will turn your life around. I will give you a better life. I will give you a new life, a life that you have not, not experienced before. I will show you a better way to conduct yourself through this world. And you'll be so surprised. You'll be so amazed by this way that I show to you. I will give to you a forgiveness of sins. I will give to you spiritual life so that you can communicate with me. And so you can have access to me and you can relate to me in a personal way. You will, I, you will be my child. I will be your father. I will be your God. I will have my eye upon you. I will take care of you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you from your enemies. I will be a friend to you. This is what's on offer. This is what he, 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 he holds out uh, to us. You will have a hold on the Lord in times of trouble. Strength in those times of trouble. You will have a secure place in heaven, fixed for all eternity. A, a, a home that you, from which you will never be evicted. Friends, that's what God has said He will do for anyone who will trust in Him. If you believe His word. If you believe in Him. If you believe these things. If you believe what Christ has said and turn to Him and turn from sin and trust in Christ, this is what He will do for you and so much more. The question is, do you believe Jesus can do this for you? Do you believe it with all your heart? The Lord, uh, this uh, captain, he didn't believe what God had said. He's like so, man, so many uh, here, uh, so many in, in life today. For them, seeing is believing. Oh, I, I need to see something with my eyes. Only if I can see it with my eyes, uh, then I'll believe it. If I don't see it, well, I disregard it. Everything to these people 
must be logically, must be uh, aligned with logic. Everything must be reasonably uh, set out. Oh, before I can believe, well, I've got to be able to understand it, and I, it's got to be explained to me, and I've been, I have to be able to grasp it with my mind. And if I cannot grasp it, well, I discard it. It's not, it doesn't uh, tally with my reason. If I cannot work it all out, if I cannot see how everything links together, how it happens, if I, I don't understand it, then I discard it. The spiritual life you talk about, contact with God, answers to prayer, well, that cannot be explained. I cannot understand how these things happen. And because my mind cannot grasp it, therefore I reject it. That's how people think. That's modern-day rationalism, friends. That's what uh, rationalism is. Uh, if you look in the dictionary, this is a, from the Oxford uh, English Dictionary, rationalism is the belief that all behavior and opinions should be based on reason and not on emotions or religious beliefs. It's the, basically the power of the mind uh, to think in a, in a logical way. But in this particular case, it's putting uh, what uh, rationalism does is it puts the mind above God and above His Word and says uh, the mind is, uh, is basically the idol. The mind is God. And what I think and what I comprehend, that's what matters more than what God has said. And it puts God's Word uh, lower down. It's an idolizing of, of the mind above what God says and says, if it cannot be explained to, to me, if I cannot grasp it, it can't be true. It's not true. Well, reason, friends, has the God of so many. It's become the God of so many. It's become the judge of all things. Now, friends, don't get me wrong. The Bible is not against reason. On the contrary, if a reason, we are taught, and we've said it many times from this pulpit, reason is a gift of God. We are to use our minds. We are to think. We are to examine things. Uh, we are, our, our ability to think is God-given. It's a gift from Him. And you are to use it to think about what God has said as well as about the world around you. God Himself says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together. Let us talk things over as it were. Let us discuss things. But a problem comes, friends, when we elevate reason above the Word of God. But here's the problem with our reason, with our reasoning skills. It's fallen. Our reason is affected by the fall. Our reason uh, is uh, affected by sin. As a result of the fall, well, our reason has become incompetent. You know this, uh, you know this uh, uh, from day to day. We make mistakes. Our reason uh, is unable to uh, be perfect in every decision that it makes. We get things wrong because we've thought wrongly about something and our decision-making is wrong. Our reason is affected by, si by sin. What would you think, friends, of a judge? What would, you would you have any confidence in a judge who all through a very long trial was drunk, was drunk every day, and he slurred, and he had trouble grasping the evidence and the witness tes testimonies that were put before him. Would you have confidence 
in his verdict at the end of the trial? You wouldn't do so. The, the mind is like that. It's, it's fallen. You cannot trust it. Would you get into a car with a man who is drunk? And, I, and, and though he confidently says, I can take you all the way to Glasgow. Or would you go with him all the way to Glasgow from here, knowing that he is drunk? Would you trust him to get you all the way there? Oh, that's like the mind, friends. The mind is so affected. The reason, our reasoning ability is so affected. Furthermore, our minds are not only are, are affected by sin, but they're finite. <laughs> they're finite. We haven't got an infinite mind like the Lord. Our minds, our reasoning skills are small. They're limited. They're puny. They're very small, friends. How can we, how can I say, I can judge what is true and what is not true? How can I, with my puny mind, come to such a, a conclusion and a decision about spiritual realities? How furthermore can I pit my wits against the Almighty, the great intellect of all, the Almighty God, and say, I know better than He does. And what I think is, 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 is true and what He says is wrong. That's what uh, uh, rationalism says, in effect. But friends, God, God is perfect. God has no flaws. God is not fallen. His intelligence is perfect. He knows all things, and he sees all things so clearly and perfectly and well, and what he says is absolutely right and trustworthy. But look at this particular captain, uh, what he was doing, uh, or rather, this is what he was doing. Uh, he, was, uh, he was saying, well, look at the situation and taking all things into consideration, I cannot see how God is going to turn the situation around. I don't believe it. Is that how you think, friends? I cannot see how God is going to give me new life. I cannot see how God could change me and so bring me to a, a higher level of life where I'm in communion with Him. I don't believe it's possible to have a personal relationship with God. Friends, that's unbelief. That's using your own reason above uh, the Word of God. You're just like this unbelieving captain. Uh, what happened next to him? We uh, see, again, we just say in, in brief, of these four st uh, starving uh, lepers uh, sitting outside the gate of the, sit the city, and they come up with this do-or-die plan and they, they opt to go into the camp of the Syrians and say, we might as well do that. The only other choice is, well, we go into the city and we starve to death there, or we just sit outside the, 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 the walls and we'll die anyway. If we go to the Syrians and they kill us, well, we haven't lost anything. But they may give us some food. They may preserve our lives. So they took that chance. They took that risk. And they went uh, into uh, the camp of the Syrians. And when they, when they got there, to their great surprise, the camp was deserted. All the soldiers had fled. They'd heard a sound uh, as if the king, uh, kings or armies were coming and approaching them, and they all fled for their lives. Of course, it was a sound uh, from the Lord. But uh, when these lepers came into the camp, well, they saw all the victuals there, all the silver and gold, and the food that was there in abundance. Well, they sent word back uh, to the king 
and soon all Samaria uh, knew about it. And that next, that very morning, the next day after uh, Elisha had said these things, the siege was over. The people were free. The flour and barley was uh, again uh, available, uh, and there was more than enough for all, just as the prophet had predicted. But what of the captain? Oh, we see his sorry end there in verse uh, 17. The king and appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. The people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. That was his end. Elisha had previously told him, uh, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. Unbelief deprived him of the blessing. He saw the siege was over. He saw the people having access to the flour and the wheat and the barley and so on. He saw things had changed. He saw the turnaround. But he himself personally was not able to experience it and to enjoy it and to taste of those things. He was trodden in the gate by the crowd. Well, friends, that's what unbelief rewards you with. You go down the path of rationalism. You go down the path of unbelief. That's what it's going to reward you with. Or rather, that's the judgment we could say upon it. You will see some of these things that God has promised, but you will never experience it for yourself. You'll see it, as it were, from afar, but you'll never know it close to hand in your own heart. You will see, perhaps, the gospel, and you will begin, you, maybe, maybe you will understand the gospel, and you will see that the claims of Christ, that He said He has come from heaven, and that He died on the cross to take away the sins of all who will believe in Him. You see it, you understand it, but your unbelief keeps you uh, from believing it, from taking it for yourself. And so, it's not, it's not something that you will experience. You see it with your eyes. You understand that way of salvation. But you don't experience it personally for yourself. Or perhaps you will uh, see God's work in other people. And you come across a friend or a family member. And they tell you that they're saved and they're Christians. And you see in their lives such a great change. You knew what they were like before. And you see what they are like now. But again, that doesn't persuade you to turn to the Lord yourself. You see it with your eyes. But unbelief keeps you from experiencing it uh, for yourself. You re prefer to remain in your unbelief. Well, friends, we have to go to the next world. And in the next world, those the Bible teaches us that even those uh, who are found in hell because of their unbelief, even they are, are given some idea. I don't know how it's going to happen. Even there will be shown and, and, and take with them to hell some sense of the joys and the blessings and the happiness that have the people in heaven have. You can see that in the parable with the rich man and Lazarus. How, uh, how it happens, I don't know. But they, they will take, have an, a, an idea Oh, what we missed out on. Look at those people in heaven. They're so happy. They're so pure. They're so lovely. But we don't have those things. 
it will have a sense of that uh, being missed uh, throughout eternity and be, uh, have that thought and never be able to enter into that particular place again. That's what unbelief does. That's where unbelief takes us, friends, away from our blessings and uh, in an eternal way away from it. Friends, don't let unbelief deprive you of these uh, tremendous things. Just because the world uh, says uh, different things, don't believe what the world says. Believe what God says. That is when I, when I say spiritual rationalism, that is what I'm coming to. It's just use your mind to think, yes, but to think about Scripture, to receive what God has said, and to say, no matter what the world says, thus saith the Lord, that's for me. I will believe what the Lord uh, says. Use your mind, use your reason, think about the gospel, think about all God has said, and say, Lord, I believe. I believe uh, you. If you need to, you can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he will hear that prayer as well. Place God's word above your puny little minds. Trust the word of God instead of your mind. Trust the great intellectual, our great God, the one who knows uh, everything, who knows all things. Believe in him, friends. Believe in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Look to him. And the Bible says, you will be saved. This is the call from God, the call to believe in him in the midst, even of an unbelieving world, to look to him and experience these blessings from him. Let's pray together. Oh God, our Father in heaven, we stand amazed, we stand humbled when we hear of the things that you offer unto us and so freely of your grace in Christ and especially a place in heaven and forgiveness of all our sins. Lord, we know that we are undeserving of these things. Oh, help us, we pray, Lord, to think and reason with you, even as you have bidden us to do, that we may come and put things right with you if we haven't done so, and we may find a forgiveness and pardon from you and that new life and come and experience even all those things that you have promised. Oh, Lord, may they become realities in our own hearts and lives. We pray and ask for these blessings from thee in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. And we close by singing our final hymn which is number 380. O thou who hast redeemed of old, 380.